the body will start to go into a state of high alert and it will literally be like if you're in a hurricane you can't like maintain the the, the house you just have to protect the house so similarly like you don't see normal normal metabolism when someone's under threat you see their metabolism becomes deranged because their body's like i'm going to hold on to every single calorie that i can find because i really need to survive and so when people try to do a calorie deficit in the midst of high stress states what can happen is is there especially specifically women you can often see thyroid dysfunction because they've got this high cortisol state they've got weight loss resistance they've got and now their body's saying uh-uh i am holding on to every single calorie i can and I'm gonna make it possible hormonally to do that. And so what do you do? Let's just turn down the thermostat, use less energy, you know? So I, I really try to always ask, what is the way of interpreting the body in metaphors that people can understand? And oftentimes these metaphors actually make total sense on a cellular level. But generally speaking, like most people don't really see the body this way. Girl, you've got questions questions about your body and how to feel good in it, about your hormones and how to keep them in check, questions about your sex life and your whole health. Can you imagine having a best girlfriend who was also a triple board certified OBGYN, a girlfriend doctor you could call and ask or tell her anything, someone who could show you how to live any stage of life before, during, or after menopause in a big, bold, and beautiful way. Well, friends, I'm your girlfriend doctor. I believe you were meant to flourish and shine, to embrace life and awaken to all its possibilities. Let's get there together. Welcome to our show. Men and women are created differently. I know that's obvious, but somewhere in medicine, we seem to have forgotten that fact, but it is so true. One of the things that's different in how we approach our life and everything that we're doing for longevity is the different is addressing differently the health span in men versus women. What creates health span? The quality of our life versus the quantity of our life, but how can we have both together? This is where biohacking for women comes into play. And as a longtime scientist and student of longevity and empowering the body to heal itself, resuscitating the organs from the adrenals to the ovaries, to the our metabolism, to our mind, how we can reverse age and uh, reverse diabetes and diseases of inflammation and chronic illness. I wanted to bring to you an expert who wrote a book recently called The Spark Factor. Her name is Dr. Molly Maloof, who has her own amazing history and story. And she has firsthand experience in transforming her health and the health of her patients. She went from pediatrics now to working with HealthSpan and consulting with executives, high-level entrepreneurs, and Fortune 500 companies. She has, for three years, taught a course on HealthSpan at Stanford University. She is truly on the cutting edge of personalized medicine to change how we look at everything from digital health technologies to psychedelic medicine, and she is the new author of The Spark Factor. I really enjoyed this conversation with Molly because we go into so so many key things. We've talked about how important it is to having more fun, to have more fun in your life and how powerful oxytocin is. Also, the differences between good stress and bad stress. I mean, it's still stress. And what do we need to do about it? Also, you know, how 
stress can affect our physiology and change as we are exposed to things that are disrupting our physiology. And she really breaks it down nice and simply in her book and in her conversation about how critical it is to nourish her body, especially when we're under stress, the importance of movements, but even more importantly, friendships and good community. She says, stress can make you stronger. We have to approach it in the right way and understand what it's doing to our body. And a key thing is that stress affects our hormone cortisol. And she is in love with our hormone oxytocin. So of course, she, we, her and I became quick friends and I really enjoyed this discussion. One thing she says that loneliness is toxic and it is as much of a physiologic craving as hunger or thirst is to have connection. Connection is critically important. And how do we improve our mitochondria? How do we reverse age and improve our health span, the quality of our life? You guys are going to love this discussion. So join me and let me introduce Dr. Molly Maloof. Well, welcome Dr. Molly Maloof to the Girlfriend Doctor podcast. It is great to have you here today. Such a pleasure. Such an honor to be here. Thank you. You are very welcome. So uh, for our audience, we were just chatting. We have so much in common. Uh, Molly has just moved to Texas. I moved to Texas a couple of years ago. So she's in Austin, uh, although we still do consider that Texas. It is really, it's so fun. A lot of great new people are moving there. And I want to share with my audience your book, The Spark Factor. I read it and immediately gravitated to your work on community connection and love and the power of oxytocin, which seems like it is both our favorite hormone. So I'd like you to talk a little bit about you went from uh, pediatrics to biohacking and, and academics. And now to really, to really being in the adult longevity space and with this book, the spark factor. I love it. The secret to supercharging energy, becoming resilient and feeling better than ever. Yeah. You know, it's funny you say, I was just thinking about what you said about the adult longevity space, but I think I'm just like, just one of the things that just came to me was this idea that like, imagine how much knowledge younger generations are going to have around being healthy. And like, I've met people in their twenties that like figured out a lot of the stuff that I figured out in my thirties. Right. And so I really didn't start. I mean, I was always obsessed with health when I, since I was a kid, but I was making a lot of mistakes. Like I didn't really understand how to, how to properly take care of myself. And it really affected my, my health in my twenties. But I just keep on thinking, man, what if I were in high school and had this knowledge, you know, what if I had this book that I could have read when I was a kid? how much would that have changed my life as an adult? And like, I think that we really should start thinking about longevity, like way sooner than when we're hitting our thirties or forties or fifties. I really think that younger and younger people should be thinking about this because we're seeing chronic diseases emerge in younger generations and like the level of obesity in children, level of diabetes, level of mental health dysfunction. Almost all of these are rooted in metabolic health. And this is, persistent and pervasive throughout our culture because of our environment that is just designed for convenience, for excess overconsumption of packaged processed foods. And there's a lot of toxins in the environment. And there's also a lot of stress in the news cycles and on TV and, and, you know, TV programming. So I think it's, I think longevity right now is kind of considered this thing that you do when you get older, but really, if you want to focus on health span, you want to optimize your organ reserve when you're young. And that means you want to take care of those organs. You want to take care of those mitochondria. You want to you really want to take care of your body 
so that you don't end up getting sick when you get older. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. And, and, and there's, it's never too late. No, it's it's never never too late. late. And so that's the thing. I think that women in our fifties and sixties and beyond, we're really struggling with some of those. I mean, there's certainly the toxic overload that we have been exposed to in our 20, you know, teens, twenties, thirties. And that really affects that organ reserve. And the ovaries are such a marker of longevity. They are such a good marker of longevity. Share with our audience. You've just like, we're going to get into the book because I have highlighted some really juicy parts of your book. And we um, were talking about like how the book launch affected you hormonally. Would you share a little bit? Because it is, it's, first of all, it's great that you made that connection. You're like, okay, it's not that I'm menopausal or whatever. I've just been through, go, go ahead and. I went through, I mean, I have to say last year might've been one of the more challenging and also satisfying years of my life. I mean, I had more fun last year than I would, I I think most people have in general. And I think part of it was coming out of the pandemic and people being more open and moving to Austin and just having more fun in my life. But I also launched a book, fundraised for a company, moved, traveled to multiple countries, you know, like all of those are major life stressors. Like success is stressful. I had to finish a book, market a book, uh, record a book. And I was on hundreds of podcasts, maybe like at least a hundred last year. And so it was a really, t- I mean, and then I also taught at Stanford. Okay. So somehow my body was able to maintain generally decent function throughout the year, but near the end of last year, I started noticing that my energy levels were declining. And I was like, oh man, I cannot burn out before this book launches. Like this would be the worst PR for my book. So a few months, uh, I think it was September, October, I was like, I was noticing my energy was starting to shift. And I was like, okay, I've been pushing it a little hard. I did did get COVID at Burning Man. And so I went into high gear. I went into recovery mode. I went into biohacking. I went into using all my biohacking tools. I did NAD therapy. I did, I was much more careful with my exercise. I didn't do as much intense exercise. And fortunately I was able to normalize my cortisol, but then the book launch started in January and January was crazy. I mean, I'm talking five podcasts a day, certain days of the week. I traveled to LA, New York, Dubai in the course of three weeks. It was a lot. And so my period was like a week early and I'm like, I'm looking at my aura ring actually told me, Hey, your period's going to start in a few days. And I was like, wait, this isn't normal. My periods are always 28 days, 27, 28 days. And now it's 21 days. This is not good. And so I was like, everyone's like, how's your book tour going? I'm like, I'm trying not to travel for three weeks because my body needs to regulate. Like I need to chill out a bit. And I, I mean, I've been, I've been feeling really good this week, but it has been like a, when, when you're, when my period's not normal, that's a sign to me that something in my life needs to change. I really look at the period as a window into our health as women. And a lot of women just don't pay attention to it and they like suffer unnecessarily without really realizing that like, there's a lot you can do to fix your periods. But the first thing you got to focus on is your stress levels. Oh, I couldn't agree more. And I think that's a good awareness, right? That the stress was affecting you and it was affecting your menstrual cycle. And that's an important, again, like what's going on here. It's from the hormonal pathway, we have yeah. progesterone and pregnenolone, and we will make cortisol in sacrifice of our reproductive hormones. Yes. And so we plummet that progesterone, you get that early period. 
Yeah. Get that, And you get worsening. And maybe before that there's worsening PMS that week or two before your yeah. cycle. And I always like to say, if you only hate your partner or, or your life, just two weeks of your cycle, then it's most likely your hormones and not necessarily yeah. your partner. So yeah. I mean, it's, that, those are like those mood symptoms. Now you talked to um, I love that period as a window into your health, right? The period yeah, for, for, I for, think, for women's health, for sure. Yeah. And I like it as a vital sign. I liken it to yeah. your period's a vital sign. It's a marker. Like what's going on with your period is telling you what's going on with your hormones. And that starts early with all those symptoms. Now, a lot of the symptoms that come up with the peri, you know, in this, when our, when we're out of balance are the neurologic symptoms, the, the brain fog, the mood swings, the depression, the anxiety, the irritability, and, yeah. and those symptoms as a result of that. So you said, okay, you're going to not going to travel for three weeks. You're going to do some of your, you know, follow your, your health span advice. My regular nutrient. I mean, I filled my fridge with lots of colorful fruits and vegetables, lean meats, you know, you know, healthy oils. I got some really beautiful olive oil in from Italy that a friend sent me. And like my kitchen is stocked with, with nourishment. And the first thing I always try to do is I, I just really want to nourish my body properly. And then also movement is so key for moving, moving your body, keeping your body moving. So I, I did some weightlifting this week and I'm going to do some yoga on Friday, get some walks in, you know, get some time in nature if I can, and then spending time with friends and people that I care about, you know, making sure I take my supplements. I noticed my immune system was, I, 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 I averted a cold. I started taking oregano oil and it's gone. It was like the tickle in my throat is literally gone. It happened on Monday and it's, it's like Wednesday today. Right. Is it Wednesday? Uh-huh. Yeah. So fortunately I was able to avert getting sick. Um, but I definitely took the weekend just like really chilled out over the weekend and slept a lot. And like, I, I basically spent the entire weekend in my robe and it was so luxurious. <laughs> like I got this robe when I was in Dubai and it's like the greatest robe of all time. And I just never want to take it off. So Fortunately, I mean, I do have to go to work every day. So I okay. Now I want to see the robe. Oh my god, it's like the robe. It's from Waldorf Astoria, Dubai, and it's like I put it on in my in my. um, The funny thing is, I put it on in my room, and like then I tried on my friends, and the guy robe was much bigger and much plushier. And I was like, I'm gonna buy the men's robe because it's so big and it's so comfortable. But it's like it's made of like I don't know what it's made out of, but it's like the I'm I'm like a connoisseur of like nice robes. And this is, this is like the robe of all time. And I wish I could have bought like 10 of them for friends, but I'll have to go back to Dubai and get more of them. Oh my gosh. And it's not just a Waldorf or Astoria robe. It's a Waldorf or Astoria Dubai robe. I know. I know. <laughs> I got invited to Dubai and Dubai is basically, um, if Singapore and Vegas had a baby, like mm. that's the only way to describe it. Cause it's a brand new city, but it's also super flashy but it's in a desert. And so it's like, it literally is like Vegas meets, meets Singapore, which I actually prefer it over Vegas, like any oh, day. Yeah. I'm not, yeah. A, I'm not, we're not a big fan of Vegas and A4M. I don't know why they keep on having their conferences in Vegas. Why can't they choose a better location? I like, agree. It's the least healthy city in America. Like what the hell? <laughs> and well, plus at those conferences, you never leave outside. You don't typically go outside for the entire duration. So that's, yeah. it's less healthy for us. One thing you talked about is that you've had some good stresses and how are good stresses different than bad stress and, and the effect they're having on your body? Well, one of the things that I think people need to realize about life is that stress can make you stronger. It can make you more emotionally resilient. It can make you more, 
you make you more aware of what you're capable of. And I've had friends in the past, you know, I've had, I've got some very successful friends and I, I definitely, one time, one of them said to me, this guy Sanjiv, and he goes, Molly, I think if you looked at your schedule, you'd actually find that you have a lot more time to do more with your life than you think. And I was like, are you telling me that I'm like capable of more and I'm not accomplishing my potential? <laughs> and that's really what he was saying, but he was right. Like I actually could accomplish more. And so the thing about, but the, but the thing about accomplishing more is that you have to actually get through this whole period of like, there's this great book called the upper limit problem. I think it's called, or like it's, well, the book talks about the upper limit problem, which is basically this problem where like people who are generally successful often like reach a sort of upper level of their success. And then they're, and then they like sabotage themselves when they try to go above that. And so you have to actually get out of your own way to actually level up your life. But I made a bunch of mistakes in the process. Like don't give me like one of the challenges of more success is you have more people who are judgmental of you. You have more, you just get judged more. Like you just generally get more feedback from everyone. And then you have to realize like, you should really only be taking advice from people that you really respect and that you really love. And you actually like, you respect their opinion and not everybody gives good advice. And so, so there's that's a, lot. a really good statement. Not everybody yeah. gives good advice. That is true. And even like, those that you love. Yeah. I've had some friends of mine that are younger than me. When I was experiencing challenges with my business, they were like, you should just give your money back to the investors. And I was like, uh, no. And also what have you accomplished? Like, and it, these were young men in their twenties who told me this, who had never had an exit and never had like a major success in their businesses. And they're trying to give me advice. And so it's really important to get advice from people who've actually been more successful than you because they're the ones who've been through it. They're the ones who've actually gone to battle and been in the been in the arena. And the truth is, is that there's this great speech on the man in the arena, but you know, real like women more and more are looking to achieve leadership positions in this world and want to accomplish more. And it is something that does threaten and intimidate some men. But the thing about success and and is that like there's this, you cannot focus on the moment of like getting your book published or getting your final, you know, check in the bank for your, for your funding, for your funding round. You have to really throw that stuff out the door because there's nothing seeing the top of the mountain momentarily is like what you typically see is there's much more, there's more mountains to, to, to cross. Mm -hmm. So you really have to focus on the journey. And that's so cliche. But when I was launching this book a few weeks ago, I was like, oh my God, I can't wait for this book launch to be over. This is so hard. And then I was like, wait, this book launches for the next year. So I need to get with it. I'm either going to have to enjoy this process or I'm going to have to sit and feel sorry for myself and because I'm stressed out. But why am I feeling sorry for myself? And this is a massive opportunity to help people. So a lot of what I do with my clients and with myself is you have to kind of be your own performance coach and you have to look at the situation from a big picture and say, okay, yeah, this is stressful what I'm doing, but how can I enjoy this? And so when I was fundraising last year, I was like, you know what? Fundraising is supposed to be really fucking painful and sorry for cussing, but it, and it is not easy, but I learned that if I just changed my mindset and used cognitive reframing, I would, it's called cognitive reappraisal. And you can literally change your mind about something that you don't like. So what I'm tr constantly trying to do is like when I'm experiencing challenges, I'm trying to change my mindset so that I actually enjoy the process. And this is the thing about success is that like it can be stressful on the body and it can wear you down uh, and you can worry more or you can take it as fuel to actually transform your life and to actually like really change the tra trajectory of your life. And so I'm really a big believer that like 
all stress is, is, is actually useful if you can learn from it. And if you can assimilate it and you can digest it and you can process it and ideally not let it become chronic. Last year was really, really busy. And I learned that, okay, this is the limit of what my body is really capable of doing without breaking down. So I now I'm like taking a step back and saying, okay, I'm going to cut back to 90% of what I was doing. And I got some advice from an advisor and he's like, look, you're doing a lot of great stuff. You can cut back 10% of what you're doing and be healthier and you're going to be fine and your businesses are going to be fine. And that's not something you hear very often because almost everyone sees these great entrepreneurs in the media. And they're always saying, well, I work seven days a week, 24 seven, you know, and 365 days a year. And the truth is, is that I've seen a lot of entrepreneurs and investors get really sick and Mm -hmm. from that kind of lifestyle. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, a lot of what I did last year was just take my own advice and just start implementing my own beliefs, uh, the stuff that's in my book, I just started doing it. And I was just like, wow, this stuff works. <laughs> <laughs> that's nice. And I, and I think it's a challenge too, for entrepreneurs driven and, and you have like a, such a mission driven approach is also to sit in the sit in the satisfaction of what you've achieved to celebrate yourself, to celebrate this moment, to really let that sink yeah. in and say, oh my gosh, I've just done this versus the tendency is, okay, check what's next on the to-do list, right? I know. What's next on the big goal? I and you're know. like, oh wait, that, I think there's a great, did you ever see the uh, musical Hamilton? I have not seen it yet, but I need oh, to go see gosh. it. So my daughter's, she turns 15 uh, very soon, but for her 11th birthday, and it was after, it was during my first book launch, The Hormone Fix, she was turning 11 and all she wanted was to see the musical Hamilton. So we went to New York City because I was doing my publishers in New York City. We went to New York City and that was her birthday gift was, was the musical Hamilton. And in it, there's the one song that I will never be satisfied. You guys check your Spotify, listen to that song. It's that song. I will never be satisfied. And I was like, oh my God, that is like my theme song. I mean, that is my theme song. I'm like, always what's, what's next, or that's not good enough, or, or there's gotta be more right. Instead of like, okay, how can I, you know, soak in, I'm really satisfied with this. I'm satisfied with this outcome. I'm satisfied with my life as it is. I can focus on, on the, you know, the, the positives really take this in, take this, you know, take the celebrate, take the time to celebrate and really enjoy it. And that can be, I know that can be a challenge. So I'm glad you're doing that. You said something about like reframing and I like reframing what you're doing. A friend of mine and an author, and I've interviewed her on the Girlfriend Doctor show is um, Ariel Ford. And she wrote a book called Wabi Sabi Love. Oh, cute. Yeah, I always think about that. And what she says is, uh, you know, like she gives the example of a a couple and she's, you know, agitated because he loves his poppy seed bagels. And then she's cleaning poppy seed off the counter or off the floor. And so she said, well, how about you reframe it? Because if the poppy seeds weren't there, that means he wouldn't be there. And so reframing it to say, oh, I'm very happy that I've got these poppy seeds to clean up because it means like, you know, my love of my life is here. And I think about this regularly because I'm in a three generation household and um, I have my granddaughter living with me and my oldest daughter and my youngest and they're like dishes in the sink. And I think, okay, I'm going to work on their, you know, they're getting their dishes in the dishwasher, et cetera, doing their chores, but I'm not going to be grumpy about this because I'm so glad they're here. I'm so glad they're here. So when I find myself getting like 
you know, irritated, pissed off. Like, why aren't they doing this? They're not respecting me or whatever. I'm like, oh, I, let me set my boundaries, the house rules. But also, I'm so glad they're here. I'm going to do these dishes with joy. You know, I'm going to do this with joy. And that reframing yeah. helps my cortisol so much, helps my attitude, helps my, yeah, helps me so much. So that reframing and reframing so through the lens of love. And Molly, one of the things that attracted me to your work is that you talk about the importance of connection, the importance of connection, the importance of oxytocin as a favorite hormone. And I want to read this one area that I highlighted in your book, because one of my all-time favorite women, I would say philosophers, is also Mother Teresa. And you wrote in the energy under the chapter, Energy of Love, Mother Teresa once said, the greatest disease in the West today is not TB or leprosy. It is being unwanted, unloved, and uncared for. We can cure physical disease with medicine, but the only cure for loneliness, despair, and hopelessness is love. And I love that quote. And you write, you continue on that love is the final secret to extended health span, a long life and fulfillment. It is the force that brings people together to create more life, more security, more vitality, and ultimately more meaning. It is the divine and the luminescent spark within us all. It is the deepest, most potent, most beautiful thing we all have in common. I love that. I love that. And you base that too around your research on oxytocin. I would love for you to talk about that, how you how you've prioritized oxytocin for health span and also in your own life? Well, I um, met this incredible woman, Sue Carter, and she became a mentor of mine. And she's this legend of oxytocin research because she discovered pair bonding and prairie voles and the role of oxytocin early in her career, like 50 years ago. So she and I became friends and she became an advisor of my company. And I really learned a lot from her about the power of love to heal as she had really taken the scientific approach to this. And it was in the work that I read of hers that I was like, oh my gosh, like this is the secret to longevity is literally our bonds. And like, when we think about love, we have this idea. I mean, almost all love songs are about love and loss, right? Like falling in love and then breakups. Right. And so the nature of love is, is this polarity of life. Right. And with, with, you know, even if you have this like incredible romance you may end up divorced. Maybe you end up living a long time and married to this person for 50 years, but then they die. So the sad part about love is that there's always this, there's always a part of it. That's there's always going to be loss. Like there's nothing, there's nothing we can do about it. Like we are all finite. Right. So one of the things that I tried to like explain to people though, is like, even if you know that everyone you love is going to pass someday, like your job is to maintain those healthy relationships the best you can while you are alive and to also nurture those relationships and to work on those relationships because they're not going to, you know, they're not going to like stay stable on their own. You have to actually invest in them. And I think a lot of people give up on relationships really prematurely because they're just not willing to do the work and maybe they never been trained to do the work, but there's a lot we can learn from love and yet um, it's so misunderstood And when I was researching, like, why is love linked to longevity? I was looking at the blue zones and I was like, wow, every single blue zone has community as part of it. And if you look at research on spirituality, why that's associated with longevity, the common factor is community. 
So I would argue that in our society today, one of the biggest reasons why we're seeing so much mental health dysfunction is because of what isolation stress does to the human nervous system. So when we want to induce psychological diseases, psychiatric diseases and animal models, we give them massive stressors and we isolate them. And so the isolation stress is a known cause of, you know, animal model disease states for mental illness. So if you really want to like, you know, make a human really sick, you just isolate them. And that's what we did for millions of people during the pandemic. And now we're all surprised why we're seeing so much violence and so much uh, mental illness, so much addiction. And it's not surprising to me at all. It's all explainable by how the body self-destructs when it's not connected. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I like that. What isolation stress does to the human nervous system. So how is that physiologically working? How is the isolation? Yeah. Especially so, as an adult, we know early pair bonding, you know, that mother child bond and that breastfeeding and that connection time is so critical to healthy adult social relationships. Now, as an adult, having this isolation, sure. right, you're pulling away that oxytocin factor, those oxytocin hits, the, you know, that feeling that you've got good, safe community and someone has your back. So how is it working on our nervous system? Well, so what people don't realize is that like loneliness, isn't this thing that just happens to you. Loneliness is actually like hunger or thirst. That's literally like a, it's a primitive single. It's like a signal. It's literally designed to make you hurt so that you go and find people that you, that make you feel safe because it would have kept you alive in primitive times. So what I don't, I don't think we have a loneliness epidemic. I think we have a, a social disconnection epidemic. And so what happens is, is that when a person is lonely or isolated, so basically like the one thing people should understand is that like loneliness is basically perceived social isolation. So there's like objective social isolation, which is like, I'm just not around people. And then there's loneliness, which is perceived social isolation, which can happen when you have people around you. So a lot of moms can be lonely, even if they have kids because they don't have peers around them. So they're like, they're they're They've got a family around them, but they don't have anyone else. So it's possible to have like perceived social isolation, but I, either way, both of these conditions contribute to HPA axis activation, right? Exactly. So you're seeing prolonged HPA axis hyperactivity, which is a form of chronic stress. And it can create glucocorticoid resistance and then also contribute to disinhibition of pro-inflammatory gene signaling. So you can actually create more inflammation. This upregulation of pro-inflammatory cytokines can really happen after a person has been under isolation or, or loneliness for a while. And we know that probably the mediator of all this is the mitochondria. So mitochondria play this really, really important role of regulating the stress response. And so I believe that inflammation and mitochondrial dysfunction are kind of hand in hand, you know, like it's, you can cause, you can have inflammation that causes mitochondrial dysfunction. You can have mitochondrial dysfunction that causes inflammation. We're not completely certain if it's the source of is mitochondria, but there, there are papers that have been published on how mitochondrial dysfunction can activate what's called the inflammasome which is the inflammatory response system of the body. And what I think the way I see it from a first principles perspective is that your body's like a house and all these cells are like homes of, you know, mitochondria and all these organelles. So you've got this like sort of body that's holding you in your consciousness and your body, it, if it feels isolated and alone, an alarm signal goes off. And first the alarm signal is like 
okay, I'm noticing that something's wrong. So I'm feeling lonely and I need to go see people. But then there's a cellular alarm signal, which I believe inflammation is the cellular alarm signal. And I think it happens as a result of the body feeling under threat and the body really perceiving isolation as a threat. And that creates the conditions where if over time it's, this persists, then the cell moves in what to, into what's called the cell danger response. And this is Robert Nevio's work and Martin Picard. It might've been, I think it's, no, no, it's Nevio's work, but Martin Picard has actually done a lot of work on mitochondria and psychosocial stress. But this idea is that the body will start to go into a state of high alert and it will literally be like, if you're in a hurricane, you can't like maintain the, the the house. You just have to protect the house. So similarly, like you don't see normal, normal metabolism when someone's under threat, you see their metabolism becomes deranged because their body's like, I'm going to hold on to every single calorie that I have, I can find because I really need to survive. And so when people try to do a calorie deficit in the midst of high stress states, what can happen is, is there, especially specifically women, you can often see thyroid dysfunction. Cause they've got this high cortisol state. They've got weight loss resistance. They've got, and now their body's saying, uh, uh-uh, I am holding on to every single calorie I can, and I'm going to make it possible hormonally to do that. And so what do you do? Let's just turn down the thermostat, use less energy, you know? So I, I really try to always ask what is the way of interpreting the body in metaphors that people can understand. And oftentimes these metaphors actually make total sense on a cellular level, but generally speaking, like most people don't really see the body this way. Most doctors don't see the bodies this way, this way. Doctors will tell you, well, you just need to stress out less. Well, great. What do you mean by that? Like, how, how do I do that? <laughs> like, so I have a whole bunch of stuff in the book on stress and I actually posted a couple of blog posts recently on my stress protocols that didn't make it into the book because there's a lot of controversy on cortisol testing in the mainstream Western medicine world, as well as in the functional medicine world. So I didn't want to put that in the book, even though I do use that model practically in my practice. Have you noticed by the way, that like, like, do you, do you feel pretty strongly that like cortisol levels do reflect a person's like physical state in general of what they're going through? I think that it is, it can be deceiving right? Yeah. It can be deceiving because what I noticed, and like we talk about what you mentioned, especially in the animal model, right? And we are animals, yeah. we are, that isolation is creating that higher stress, right? The opposite is true. That like, so the, the isolation's creating this heightened cortisol response, yeah. as well as the height, the opposite being true, the heightened cortisol response from chronic everyday stress is creating the feelings of isolation. So yeah. we can get it both yeah. ways. And when cortisol, this is totally. what I recognized, and I didn't study it, but this is what I experienced in my own life is that from PTSD, trauma, grief, yeah. that cortisol is going up. And when cortisol goes up, your oxytocin goes down because that high alert state, look, yeah. I'm, I'm not going to befriend my enemy right now. Right. Mm-hmm. I've got to right. protect the home. And I like how you, you know, you made me think of the analogy that the thyroid as like, as a, you know, for the home is maintaining yeah. the temperature of the home. The yeah. thyroid is, is regulating, right? So yeah. that's why it can get so dysfunctional. But yeah. so when cortisol goes up for a long time, it's basically frying out your nervous system. So the paraventricular yeah. nucleus of the brain is like, okay, shut down that cortisol. And now you're still in this stress state. You still got that underlying revving, you know, body that wants to produce cortisol, but it's being suppressed. So we don't fry out our nervous system essentially. And, and now you're in this dangerous state where cortisol is low and oxytocin is low. And that is the physiology of isolation. 
that is the physiology of depression, divorce, yeah. burnout. That is that physiology. So you can see these low, this low cortisol. If you're just looking at cortisol and not looking at anything else, you don't know, you know, what set that off and how you yeah. have to reactivate to like uh, reset the circadian rhythm, reset your natural cortisol cycle, despite the real or perceived stress that your body's going through it. And that's a powerful realization. Yeah. And so cortisol levels, give us like, give us an idea. I would say, you know, like I, I will test every body. I'm a gynecologist and I will test every body fluid. Right. But I'll look yeah. at stool analysis. I'll look at vaginal secretions. Totally. I'll look at saliva. I'll look at blood. I'll look at, you know, and then we haven't really, until we can measure energetically our hormones uh, over time consistently, like with monitors that we're yeah. really not getting a good picture. So that gives you this instant in time, which could be affected by how your morning was or how your night was. Totally. So, so that's the challenge with cortisol testing. I think it's that one piece of the puzzle, which I can say, look, your cortisol flatlined, no wonder, but now we got to work on resetting yeah. your cortisol. We either have to rebuild your adrenals and break through yeah. that stress response. And often it's with, you know, uh, it's, it's breaking the known, the habitual pathway. So we use yeah. emotional free. I use emotional freedom technique, EMDR, totally. those things, but do what increases oxytocin. So I coined the yeah. term oxyplay, which I, I love that because I would say better than four plates, oxyplay, and you don't need a partner. It's whatever you can do on a regular basis to keep boosting oxytocin yeah. as an antidote to this cortisol profile. So whether it's because of high cortisol be, or high cortisol being suppressed to low cortisol or just chronic low cortisol now, then you've got to rebuild that oxytocin. You've got to reset the circadian cycle. And it, it's not, I wish it was easy, but it, I mean, there's, it's multi-modality yeah. in order to get to that. And you're absolutely right. The mitochondrial function depletes because again, you're affecting your you're affecting your thyroid function, plus your other hormones, but you're affecting your thyroid function. So your body gets into the state of hibernation, protective hibernation. It's telling you what it needs. Yeah. I mean, I was just thinking about the concept of oxyplay because I was like, what are all the things that you do to boost oxytocin? Because I mean, I know when I visit my parents and I see their dogs and I cuddle with their dogs, I'm like, why does it, why does this feel so good? And it's because of the oxytocin, you know, Absolutely. but also recently I've been giving a lot of gifts and I'm like, why does giving gifts feel so good? And I realized there's actually research that suggests that giving gifts creates oxytocin. So like giving people things and like sharing meals with friends. I'm doing that on Friday, maybe Thursday. And then like, hey, we're going to Adam to Sandler Dallas. tonight. That's like an oxytocin boost. We're going to his, his uh, show here in Dallas. So oh, fun. La laughing. Yeah. Laughing laughing. Absolutely. Yep. And taking my girls with me. So it's actually my, now my daughter turns 15 and that's what she wanted for her birthday. So she's moved beyond Hamilton. Now it's Adam Sandler. I don't know really what to think about this, but anyway. <laughs> and then there's like, you know, having sex and orgasms, which something that I'm very passionate about figuring out how to give people more of in terms of the research. So I'd love to chat with you a bit about like sexuality too. You know, it's, we did talk about this in the book a little, little bit, there's so much to think about when it comes to, I mean, I made, I think there was one mistake in my book and that, and it wasn't it, actually, it's funny because I didn't learn this until after the book was like, I couldn't edit it anymore. So like literally in November, I started working with some sex therapists on this protocol 
And the ones that I was working with, they basically were like, I met this like PT, pelvic PT uh, expert. And she's like, you actually don't want to recommend Kegels to all women because some women have overly tight pelvic muscles, healthy women, we should be fine with Kegels, but somebody who's got overly tight muscles, they actually weaken, they can actually become hypertonic and then weaken. And I was like, oh my God, I wish I would have fixed this in the book, but you know, like I, I personally find Kegels to be really useful, but then I found out that they're not for everybody, which is like kind of my own, you know, my own issues with the book, but you know, I tried oh, to do my best. No, but it's such a good point too. Yeah. And I learned that as well, the hypertonic muscles and certain things that we can do to reset that constant firing to make those muscles hypertonic. And it's almost like, okay, they're hypertonic and they become almost, I would say brittle, but that's kind of the way I look at it. Less flexible, right? Less resilient. And so to re same thing, reset that gamma nerve, gamma nerve root reflex so that they can relax. So first you got to train their body to relax, but you got to keep those pelvic floor muscles strong. So it's not just like about the Kegels. It's, you know, it's, it's the health of the vulva, the anal, the sphincter, the, you know, the entire yeah. um, perineum that we want to keep healthy. So there's a way to do that, to reset that. And then learn to relax, totally relax those muscles and understanding why are they hypertonic to begin with? I mean, I think that's, that's huge awareness. One of the things that I learned and you travel a lot too. And I like that about you is you learn so much by traveling. My mom used to say, you know, Anna, totally. travel is your best education. You learn about cultures and you eliminate bias. I know. I really know. It's so good. It's so good. Yeah. And what, you know, it's so crazy how much the whole country of America is so different, you know? Like yeah, I've lived even in Illinois, America. I've lived in California, yep. I've lived in Florida, Texas. I mean, just these, just, just different parts of the country are different people, you know? I love that. It's I crazy. love that. Yep. And then it, experiencing them different, like actually living with them is another experience versus visiting and passing through. And one of the things we talk and, and you talk about community in your book. And again, your book is the spark factor. I love that title. The, and I want to know why you called it that, but the spark factor, but you know, when we talk about, for example, drinking a glass of wine, you know, you know, maybe before menopause, it, it, it improves longevity and all this good stuff. But is it, I would say, is it really that glass of wine? If you're drinking that glass of wine in isolation at night, just to really stress is that you know or is that your or that's a habit is that improving your longevity or is it when you're sitting with a table of friends and you're toasting cheers and you're laughing and you're sharing stories and you're increasing yeah. oxytocin that is actually that key factor for longevity i'm sure resveratrol plays plays a role there certainly biochemically but the real longevity factor is oxytocin and so some of I the agree. things I really think that a lot of people, yeah. Yeah. Um, so like some of the things too, that increase oxytocin is certainly that playing with pets. I love that giving absolute philanthropy. And that's biblical. I said, give and you will receive like that. What you get back from giving is that burst of oxytocin is that, you know, I'm just grateful to be able to do this. Or, and you see other people light up. My um, oldest daughter uh, lives in Maui now. She's an artist. And we have uh, part of our mission work is we help found, I'm on the board, founding board for uh, the House of Hope for girls that have been trafficked, sex trafficked specifically. 
from ages mm. 12 to 18. And so Brittany went and did art class with them. And she goes, oh my God, I haven't felt this good in so long. I'm like, that's oxytocin, baby. She goes, that is really like, because she was doing her art, which she loved, but doing it for other people and sharing her passion with other people yeah. and seeing them light up as they did. She was having them do mandalas and just seeing them light up about it. She came home. She's like, I haven't felt this happy in forever. And that was, that was during the pandemic. So it was such a good self-medication for her to do that too. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So a lot That's of so times, beautiful. Mm -hmm, a lot of times the purpose of everything. Yeah. Service, right. Being able to serve, but from an overflowing cup, not from empty. So you've got to know that, that yes. there's time to rest. Yeah. So Molly, why did you call it the spark factor? I call it the spark factor because I really believe that this energy that's flowing through each of our cells that's animating us is the spark of life. And when, when, when we no longer have functioning energy flow through the cells, we are not alive. So like, to me, it's just, whether it's chi, whether it's prana, whether you have whatever you want to call it, there's this animating force of existence and it's this electrical flow through our cells. And so I think consciousness is probably a result of this sort of, like, it's probably not just in our minds. Like I think consciousness is just in our, it's like in, it's embodied in all of our cells through this flow of energy. And yeah, I'm just really fascinated by like, how biology works, you know, when there, when the sperm meets the egg, the egg, the eggs mitochondria, what power life, like not the sperms, the eggs. So the women's mitochondria is literally what's creating that electrical charge. That's literally animating the, the process of creating life. It's not the DNA. It's the electricity that needs to be made through the power plants of the cells. And those mitochondria, it's hard to really like I mean, I got some criticism for putting too much mitochondria stuff in the book, but I really wanted to hammer at home that like, this is what you need to focus on if you want to avoid chronic diseases. Like I, this I is the stuff. It. I love yeah. it. Well, tell her I've, I've, I've gone past our time and I apologize. <laughs> Honor your time. I said at the beginning and then I've been way past. I could talk to you for a long, long time, Molly. And I, hopefully we get a lot of time. Oh, we're good. I, got, I got a little bit more time. Uh, tell our audience the spark factor, where to get your book, how to connect with you. You've got great posts on social media. Yeah. Find me on social, find me on Instagram at Dr. at drmolly.co and find me on my website at drmolly.co. So drmolly.co. Excellent. Yeah. D-R-M-O-L-L-Y.co. Excellent. Thank you so much for being here today. I so enjoyed our conversation and I look forward to having more conversations with you. You guys, for my audience, um, you know how important oxytocin is in our life. And Dr. Molly Malouf does an excellent job on talking, teaching you through health span, but in a really readable, very nice easy to digest way. So check out her book, The Spark Factor, and let me know what you think. We love your comments. This is an important topic. And think about one thing that you can do today to increase your oxytocin. Thank you, Dr. Molly, for being here with us. And thank you to all our listeners. Till next time.